0: Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM
1: 89.3. Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen on Money FM 89.3. Joining me in the studio, Steve Oaken, the former Clinton administration official and McClardian Associates senior advisor for our International News Week in Review. Steve, welcome back. Good to be with you, Glenn. Yeah, guys. great to be here, mm-hmm. uh, have you with us. Let's talk about another interesting nomination for President Trump this week that has backed out, uh, the director of National intelligence. And he, uh, Mr. Radcliffe had been nominated or had said he would do it. And then uh, John Radcliffe, a representative from uh, Texas, and then had pulled out. Why Why is this important, uh, the position and the fact that he pulled out? Well, I think first, let's start
0: with the position, as you mentioned, the yeah. director of national intelligence that came out of 9-11. Okay. There was a, a special commission right after 9-11, which found that the intelligence community, right, which is made up of the military and the, the CIA and elements of the FBI did not talk to one another. Mm. And that that was part of the reason that 9-11 happened is because nobody was putting together the different pieces of the puzzle that they were it's all looking kind of looking an
1: overseer of, of information.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that we needed somebody to sit on top of the different intelligence agencies that make up the intelligence community, mm-hmm. um, as we refer to it in the U.S., and, and we needed a director on top of that. And so this was supposed to be, and has over always been somebody who has had very senior roles, who has had played a role in the intelligence community. And so the first one is somebody I work with at, uh, at McClarty Associates, John Negroponte. Um, he was the first DNI. Um, he mm. was a career diplomat for decades. He had been in the White House. He had been involved in Vietnam, both at the White House and in Vietnam. He did an ambassador in Panama. And,
1: uh, wow. And, he's, and got a, he's, and, he's got a resume, huh? Yeah, in no, the <laughs> Philippines.
0: And so, so he was the first DNI. And that's what you expect out of the director of national intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not who Donald Trump was going to nominate, this Texas congressman, who he apparently liked because he questioned, you know, special counsel Mueller very aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that. In his mind, made him a good pick for for in Trump's mind, showed it made that he a good was loyal
1: and loyal to the president and that sort of thing, and had no qualifications whatsoever for okay. it. This was a challenge. He was challenged uh, in some ways. Uh, media had reported that he had padded his resume or or said said that he was more qualified or indicated he was more qualified than he really was. Because it's a, I mean, it's a very high-level important position. You have to know the intelligence community, et cetera. It's yes, right?
0: padded, quali- well, you know, padded, padded resume, lied, right? What's the difference between
1: yeah, the two? Not the first time that's happened <laughs> right. on either the Democrat or the yeah, Republican it, side, right? It,
0: it happens yeah. in Washington. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: On a daily basis, I would imagine. And <laughs> that's why vetting
0: is so important, right? Yeah. And that's the point, right? Sure. What you want to do is make sure a candidate is qualified before you nominate right. them. And like, I did this work in the White House. That was my job when I joined the Clinton administration the first time, was to go through every thing a person wrote oh. you interviewed them you wanted to make sure that not only were they qualified but that there wasn't anything that they had done that would embarrass, embarrass themselves them. or right. the administration right Donald Trump said you know what I don't need to do this I'm going to outsource this job to the media. Um, and I mean, he said, "I'm going to let the media vet you. So what I'll do is I'll throw a name out there. The media will do their digging, um, and then if the person isn't qualified, well, then I'm just not going to nominate them." And so I guess
1: that's one way to do it, though, right? I mean, well, you know,
0: <laughs> if you're John Ratcliffe, you, you now are. We're talking about you in Singapore, right? Yeah, yeah, well. In a bad way. You don't want that. And so part of it is to protect the person you're going to nominate. Part of it is to to ensure you have good qualified people. Part of it is to protect your own reputation. The Trump administration does not have a good reputation when it comes to nominating qualified people because so many of them have to withdraw or get pulled before yeah. the formal nomination goes forward. We could talk yeah. about the Federal you know, Reserve. We could talk about the Department of Defense. I mean, we could talk on and on about people who've had to pull out because they weren't properly vetted by this White House.
1: Is there any indication to figure out why this is the preferred method? You know, float the name first, see what, you know, comes out in the wind – Versus doing the homework first, is it just because it's easier to do it that way? Well, it's, it's a total, it's
0: lazy yeah. uh, to do it that way. It's to just yeah, I'm it's going it's, to have no strategy right when it comes to uh, you know putting in my cabinet, putting in the senior mm. people who are supposed to be running the government who are supposed to be qualified. Donald Trump said two very honest things. We always talk about the lies that he states, you know. <laughs> and the, there's fact checkers and how many Pinocchios he gets per statement per month and per week. But he said two very honest things one he said, "I don't vet you," I let the media vet for you. So first he says the media is the enemy of the people, but then he says I'm going to trust them to do the vetting. So right. that's one honest statement he had. Media vets. The other honest statement when he attacked, right, the congressman from Baltimore, um, and he attacked Baltimore for being oh, rat. Infested. Elijah Cummings. Yeah. Elijah Cummings, right? Mm-hmm. He said, um, "I have no strategy." I didn't attack him because there was some grand strategy I have. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't have a strategy mm. when it comes to Twitter. I don't have a strategy when it comes to vetting. And that's the, the type of president we have right now.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting approach. Uh, one of the big issues that was facing the administration this week was another round of North Korea missile testing that happened, I believe it was on Thursday. Mm. And again, the White House doesn't seem particularly troubled uh, by, you know, based on the statements that have come out on these missiles. Conversely, you know, Japan, South Korea, and the rest of the region are, are very concerned that uh, North Korea is continuing uh, to develop and hone their missile making and firing skills. What is your sense of, of why this hasn't been um, a red alert type issue in the White House or in Washington per se.
0: Okay, Remember, the president's policy is America first, right? right? And so all he cares about in his mind is, does North Korea have nuclear missiles that can hit Los Angeles, right? Or maybe Guam he cares about. But at one
1: point they could hit Alaska or Hawaii. Wasn't it one of those two? Or or it was claimed they
0: could? Well, this is his, right. It was claimed they could, probably couldn't, but no one really knows what capabilities capabilities the the North Koreans have. And so when Trump came to Singapore, right? And he has this- A year ago. A year ago. And he has this agreement with Kim that Kim wouldn't be, you know, would, well, we know it really wasn't much of an agreement, (laughs) but that Trump says, well, there's no ICBM testing since our meeting in Singapore. And Trump even admits that these missile tests- violate UN sanctions, right? right? They violate the, what the UN has said North Korea is not allowed to do. But Trump doesn't care about the UN. He doesn't care about what it means for allies like South Korea or Japan. Yeah. He just cares that it's not able to hit the US. So it's extraordinarily myopic and that it's only focused on what he thinks is in the sole interest of the United States, and that's protecting the US homeland.
1: Yeah. But at the, at the same time, there is the ongoing discussion of the, you know, America, being re-engaging in the Indo-Pacific region. And we've been hearing this now for months. They've really been hitting this message hard uh, from military leaders, from diplomatic leaders. If that is the case, it doesn't seem congruent with not caring much or not paying attention to these missile uh, launch testings uh, from North Korea because this is an integral part of what's happening in the indo-pacific region right now
0: no one has accused the Trump foreign policy of being congruent okay, okay. so so that you're no you're, you're exactly right and right. that's why countries like Singapore are concerned about how do you trust the United States to do something when when they're taking you know positions that are not in the interests of the region, the region from yeah. their perspective and mm. so what's going to happen in Japan and Korea Um, What's going to happen with ASEAN? So, yes, you have Secretary Pompeo coming out to Bangkok, which is a good thing, talking about the importance of ASEAN, which is a good thing. But then you have the U.S. pulling out of TPP. You have the U.S. putting tariffs on – not just China, um, but on Singapore and on Japan and on Korea and on Australia when it comes to steel um, and aluminum. Uh, You have the U.S. now saying, well, we don't care what happens in Hong Kong or Trump says we don't care what happens in Hong Kong. That's between that's a Chinese issue. And so there's so many concerns about whether you can trust the United States um, under Trump's foreign policy. If it doesn't directly benefit the U.S., that's a problem.
1: And I, I get the America first sentiment. There's a lot of problems at home that need to be dealt with. Immigration, the economy, you know, jobs, the job scene is looking good. The economy is, you know, pretty stable, et cetera. But I'm not sure that people in North America, in the U.S., understand the depth of concern of many governments. Uh, And I I can only speak for this region because this is, you know, the region I know, Asia Pacific. But I would imagine around the world of just how disconcerting it is for them to not be able to understand What the U.S. policy is from day to day and and where they stand as an ally, you know, strong ally Singapore, getting tariffs put on it like that doesn't make sense.
0: Right. And, or, or the EU getting yeah. terrorists Or the EU, yeah. putting, Getting terrorists put out. Or the Japanese getting terrorists putting. out. No one really knows where the U.S. is. You know, it, you know, the line was, well, America first, which is the Trump foreign policy, America sure. first doesn't mean America alone. Mm-hmm. But it kind of does mean America alone. Or America first does mean America first. And there is so much angst out there right now and as to what is going to happen with the U.S. in China. What's going to happen with the U.S. in Japan? What's going to happen with the U.S. and the EU. Yeah. And yet Trump doesn't seem to put any sanctions, right, any additional ones on North Korea when it comes to their missile testing. He talks very highly of Putin right, and, right. and Xi Jinping. And, and then he attacks, you know, Macron for actions that the the French are looking at from Google when it comes to whether they're
1: paying their fair share of taxes. Yeah, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very confusing. And I have to say, I know friends in the diplomatic community that are daily, you know, the ones in charge of, of carrying the messages from Washington. And they have also expressed confusion themselves, (laughs) right? They, I mean, they literally say we wake up every day looking at our phone to see what the text, you know, what the tweet was the night before to know what our policy is that day. And, and that's a tough way to run, you know, a a huge government that's all across the world.
0: (laughs) Everybody wakes up to look at what he tweeted out, but the the business community does. Is he going to send the market down? Um, yeah. based on some tweet the foreign policy community does probably uh, Secretary
1: Pompeo as well I would imagine
0: <laughs> everybody
1: alright let's uh, let's quickly cover our last issue which speaking of turmoil uh, into nine weeks of protests in Hong Kong regular protests and uh, this is really starting to take a toll um uh, just anecdotally, uh, someone I was talking to this week that was planning a conference there uh, next month has canceled ca- – this week canceled the conference for 500 people. Uh, they're like, yeah, we're just not going to take a chance on it. Uh, so, uh, you know, and of course it's it is hitting Hong Kong in many other ways. Where can this possibly go? Who can be the honest broker that can get – into the middle of this and try to resolve this issue or is that person p- possible
0: well I mean the question <laughs> is why is it happening right yeah. and and if you look when the handback was done 97, it, in 97 yeah. and it gave a 50-year timeline mm. you know people said oh well 50 years from now China is going to be more open and mm. and they're they're going to allow Hong Kong to th- stay a, a free and open city and now that it's 28 years away they're saying well maybe that's that's not going to happen. Or we mm. really don't think it's going to happen. It's kind of going in the other direction. And China's really moved in the other direction, um, you know, under under Xi Jinping. And so now those, you know, kids who are in their teens are saying, we've got to take a stand now because we're worried yeah. about what it's going to be like if we don't. What's going to happen 20 years from now mm. when we're now on the eve of the handback? And so it is a very difficult question. What is, you know, the result? Um, you know, I've got friends in the U.S. after the after the extradition bill was pulled, said, well, you know, some people won't take yes for an answer. Mm. Uh, But this isn't just about the extradition bill. It's about what's the future of Hong Kong? What's the relationship
1: between Hong Kong and China? But there's no central sort of focus on a people or an organization, and there's no central list of demands that can be met. I mean, it's very dispersed in terms of who's in charge, what's going on, what they actually want. Okay, they've said they want the bill, extradition bill completely withdrawn, and they want Carrie Lam, the chief executive of Hong Kong, to step down. Those are the only two that I can really see. Um, but you're right. I think it's bigger than that. And I don't, I don't know how they get to a solution for those, any of those issues, and what you're seeing is is this.
0: Maybe well, this may be a, know, a month or two. We'll talk about this. The topic of what happens when you have protests against you know autocrats, um, um, which um, is what's going on in in China now. Is that you want dispersed, right? You don't want to have you have people using burner phones or or right. whatever they might be called here in uh, in Asia, and you have all of this encrypted, um, uh, you Pre, know, prepaid imp- phones. I think prepaid phones, and you have encrypted communications, and you. Don't have anybody meeting because everybody's afraid that if you have one center, you'll be able to to take that out. And Mm. so now, because that's what you have to do to to stay free, to be able to protest, there isn't anyone to organize anything either. So there's a huge downside to to not deciding what is it that you're after.
1: Last question, quick answer: Is the PLA, the People's Liberation Army garrison in Hong Kong, going to be activated and be out on the streets helping the police to uh, keep the protests down? I,
0: I mean, we're not there yet. We, I mean. I think most of us or would hope we don't get there. But it really depends on how far Hong Kong and the and the marchers are going to push. And if China sees it as in their interest, that decision is going to get made in Beijing. That decision yeah. obviously um, isn't going to get made in Hong Kong. And hopefully history won't repeat itself.
1: Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McClarty Associates, thanks again for being with us for our International News Week in Review. My pleasure.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or